BamaLoveSoul.com Unreroute the rivers, let the damned water beat. There's some people down the way that's thirsty, so let the liquid spirit free. The people are thirsty because of man's unnatural hand. Watch what happens when the people catch wind, when the water hit the banks of that hard, dry land. Hey, this is Jesse Fisher, and you're listening to DJ Radu on the Diamond Soul Experience. W-A-B-L. New rules, new music. Download the app or stream on ablradio.com. A musical experience like no other. The Diamond Soul Experience. Get ready for the wave. It might strike like a final flood. The people haven't drank in so long. The water won't even make mud. After it comes, it might come with a steady flow. Grab the roots of the tree down by the river. Dip your cup when your spirit's low. Clap your hands now.
Demolosoul.com, decreasing your hard drive space since 2008. I am DJ Radu, and you are listening to the Diamond Soul Experience. Tonight we'll be joined by Jesse Fisher and Mark DeClive Lowe, two artists who refuse to be contained by a genre, and by doing so help define today's musical landscape. We'll feature their music tonight, as well as lots of new treats, so continue to stay tuned. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast on iTunes to help us gain new listeners. Don't keep Bamalove's soul a secret. Right now you're listening to Byron and Aquarius' Reprise of Daylight, and we have Donald Bird, Jill Scott, and Sun Ra remixes and mashups coming at you tonight on the Diamond Soul Experience. Don't go anywhere.
up, y'all? This is Eric Robeson, and you are listening to DJ Radu on the Diamond Soul Experience. We were worlds apart, shades from light to dark. Still, she invades my heart, a flame that lights my spark. We were worlds apart, shades from light to dark. Oh, oh, oh. 
Bamalovesoul.com. This is the Diamond Soul Experience. I am DJ Radu, and we're joined today by our producer, multi-instrumentalist, Brooklynite, Jesse Fisher. His new album, Daydreamers, in store is now. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So we're about a week from the day that you released the album. Have you been enjoying good feedback on the project? Yeah, so far it's been great. We got some nice reviews online. We've got um, radio play from the U.S. and Europe and Japan. Um, and we actually just got home from a little tour of uh, the East Coast. We went down to Atlanta, Durham, Charleston, Richmond, D.C., and Philly. So just got back home a couple of days ago. Yeah, I heard you were in Atlanta, and I hate I missed you. Everyone was buckling down for the uh, storm that was coming yeah, this way. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Yep. We had a nice turnout. It was cool, and hopefully we'll be back soon. Yeah, man, next time you come, I definitely have to check you out. All right, so I want to get into a little background here, man. What was your introduction to music? Well, both my parents were uh, are amateur musicians, and so I used to hear them just listening to a lot of different music, playing music with their friends. Probably the earliest stuff was listening to classical music. My dad used to play a lot of Bach around the house. We used to listen to like folk music from, from different places in the world. My mom was a big Beatles head, so we used to listen to a lot of Beatles music. So really everything, and, and jazz and blues, like that was kind of like the earliest thing. And then around about maybe when I was 10 or 11, I got a radio. And that's when I started tuning into Hot 97. So I remember hearing, because I, I grew up actually outside of New York, but it was close enough that I could get New York radio. So I remember hearing Funkmaster Flex and like just trying to figure out what that was all about, just tuning in and not having any like context for that but just knowing that I really love the sound so then then I got into like playing in rock bands and stuff and I used to play in the, the jazz band in my school like in high school so there's a little bit of everything there, I, I gotta say and it definitely comes across in your music I know you've also flirted with hip-hop you did the Tribe Called Quest remixes yeah now that was like Tribe Called Quest was one of the first groups that I heard and that really stuck with me when I was listening to radio and, you know, I used to sit there with my finger on the pause button, like, just trying to catch everything that came on. And so that was, I think it was last year or something, two years ago, it was the 20th anniversary of Midnight Marauders, so I wanted to put something out, you know, in tribute to them. And so I thought about doing a remix, but then it... The tracks kind of took a, on a life of their own. I did too. Um, lyrics to go and a war tour. They almost ended up being like their own original track, but they were both kind of like influenced by the trap track. It was fun, man, to just try to take something classic and flip it and do something with it. Do you plan on doing any more? Any more Tribe Called Quest remixes? Oh, uh, yeah, man, I think so. I got a lot of stuff in store. There's a couple of other ones that I've started that are in the works, so we gotta see. Yeah, I think you did a really great job with the a Tribe Called Quest remixes because, you know, they retain the original vibe, but, you know, you, you really stretched them out and brought them current, you brought them forward. You did the same thing with Herbie Hancock's Headhunters Project. Mm -hmm. So it's good to see how you always just place your own stamp on it and bring it to today and even the future. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. You know, both... Both the, the Tribe Called Quest stuff and the Headhunters stuff, I think when that first came out, it seemed so cutting edge and so ahead of its time. So, you know, in, in order for me to pay tribute, I didn't want to just redo the songs, but I wanted to capture that feeling of, of feeling like current, but also future. And so, um, you know, just 
that's basically what I was shooting for. Hopefully, you know, seems like from the response, seems like it, it, it reached people. Yeah, I definitely think you, you hit your mark. But speaking of the Headhunters project, how did you link up with Fly Fifth Avenue? And what made you guys decide to attack that project? Well, Sly, he's a good friend of several of my good friends, and we were both fans of each other's music before we met each other. And then we happened to meet actually at a conference. I think we just were both kind of like sitting across the, the, the aisle from each other at this music industry conference, and somehow we made eye contact, and I was like, I think I know this guy, you know? So we, we started talking, and then we realized who we were, and I had been listening to his album for a while, and he'd been checking out my music. So we decided to work together. You know, it just so happened that Headhunters was nearing its 40th anniversary, and that was a that was a record that was super um, influential in me. You know, starting music and specifically playing jazz and funk music, and um, likewise for Sly. You know, we we wanted to do something. Originally, we were just going to do a, a show, like a one-off live show. We did a promotional track for that show, which was Watermelon Man, which, which was featured on Bama of Soul. You know, that kind of got such a good response that we wanted to do the other three tracks off Headhunters. Each new track, we just wanted to make it more crazy and more, like, forward-looking, and we just kept pushing each other to, like, do more interesting and more crazy things. It's interesting that you use the word, you know, forward-looking when you describe your approach to the uh, Headhunters project because that's what Herbie Hancock did. You know, he's always looking to the future, you know, the next technology to uh, advance the art form, you know, all the way from, you know, using the uh, the moves, if I'm not mistaken, you know, all the way to, you know, turntables and our Grandmaster DST with yep. Rocket. And I, I really, you know, applaud you for taking that approach to, you know, even his his music you know, and, and providing us with the uh, Headhunters album. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. I mean, you know, we didn't, we wanted to do something new with the songs musically, but we also wanted to do something new with them technologically. Because, you know, that's exactly what he did. When he, when, when Harvey Mason and, and he rearranged Watermelon Man, um, they changed some of the chords and they changed the tempo and they changed the groove, but they also had, you know, different instruments playing it. They had the Rhodes piano, which was like a new cutting edge sound at the time, right? And they had um, some African instruments and, well, things that sounded like African instruments doing percussion and stuff. So, you know, similarly, we wanted to flip it and we put some different chords on it, but we also used some, like, you know, some sounds of today, some drum programming, some trap sounds and some house and broken beat sounds and everything. Um, and some synths and stuff that are very, like, today's sound, you know. So that's kind of, that was kind of the concept with that. Speaking of today's sound, you know, we spoke off air, and you told me that you were working on a hip-hop project. Yeah, well, one of my, um, you know, besides putting out my mu my own music, I'm also involved as a producer and, an, and a mixer and an engineer. I have a studio in Brooklyn that's, that's kind of like my day job when I'm not out promoting my own music. So luckily, I get, I get the chance to work on a lot of different kinds of projects coming in. One of those projects, I think this is the one I was telling you, it's called Exact Change Project. It's like... Kind of like a, an organic hip-hop band from Queens. I'm also working on a singer-songwriter album. Uh, a good friend of mine named Brendan Nicole Moore, who writes and sings. And that's that's a lot of fun to work on. It's like very jazzy, soulful, and kind of folky mixed together. And then there's other projects, like this jazz pianist, Samora Pinderhues, who's amazing. Uh, working on some like poetry, theater, and music crossover thing for him. 
it's just man, it's just so many great visionaries that come into the studio. I'm really lucky that I get a chance to work with them to try and get their vision out. I tell you what, we want to take a break. We want to come back. We want to talk about Daydreamer. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get into Watermelon Man. It's one of my favorites from the Headhunters Project. So, I will return right here on the Diamond Soul Experience.
DamaLoveSoul.com. It's Diamond Soul Experience. I am DJ Radu. Still got my man Jesse Fisher in the mix. Yo, what's up? The new album, Daydreamers, in stores now. You know, you, you do so much. You know, you just reveal to us that you, you know, have your own studio, which I can imagine, you know, just it adds so much to your workload. But on the Daydreamer project, you know, you're not only, you know, the feature artist, but you also composed, performed, arranged, produced, engineered, mixed, mastered, and you did some songwriting on a project. Yeah, and, you know, I've I've always been sort of interested in producing and engineering, and, and like, that's a, sort of a different part of my brain. But this is the first album I've put out where I actually wrote a, a couple of songs, you know, lyrics and music. And it was something where I had gotten together with a singer and I was trying to write some stuff with her. And I was writing the music and she was writing lyrics and it's kind of like, because the subject matter was so personal, I kind of, you know, we sort of started it and then I took it home and somehow it just came out. You know, I didn't expect, I didn't plan for me to be writing the lyrics, but they just came out and then, you know, the next session I was like, here's the song. And it, it seemed to work, so. It was, um, it's gratifying, you know, and I like, I like, I'm the kind of guy that I just like to challenge myself to learn new skills, so, you know, if it's something I don't know how to do, that's like a good opportunity to spend some time with it and try and figure out how to do it and how it works. With all the hats you wore on this project, would you consider yourself to be a control freak, or would you consider that you just have a specific set of skills and you're just making use of them? Yeah, that's a good one. Man, I, I really do, you know, for certain things I have a specific vision and sometimes it's it's harder to get that across to people than it is to sort of do it myself. So I think that's definitely part of it. Um, but part of it is just, you know, I like, like I was saying, like I like the challenge of doing things myself and, and learning new skills. And it's kind of exciting to be able to have an impact on everything you know not just the music but visually like i do the video editing and the graphic design too you know it kind of helps it be a unified project that way and i mean the last consideration is you know nothing to laugh at but it's it costs a lot of money to make a record and you know if i was going to be paying somebody to do all the things that i was doing on this record it would have cost like three or four times as much so you know a lot of it is just straight up uh, finances you know but I think in the end, it's kind of cool. It has a you know DIY kind of feel. It's got a very homemade feel, which is the concept I was going for to begin with. So I know you did a fund source campaign. You know, yeah. you did the video work. You did you know the graphic design. You know, pretty much engin- engineered and mastered the entire yeah. album. But you're on Rope Dope Records. I guess I'm trying to understand why you're on a label, but you've done pretty much everything yourself like why do you need a label right you know it's a good question i mean (laughs) everything is changing and even like you know compared to two or three years ago things are different now the role that a record label plays is not really the same as it used to i mean as robot is a very small label but even at the larger labels as far as i know they're not funding records the way they used to they're not funding artist development they're not paying for artists to go on tour and kind of like so it, the landscape has changed, and, and a big part of that is just because there's no revenue. There's not a lot of money coming in because people just don't spend money on recorded music anymore. So I think all the labels are kind of trying to figure out where they fall in, in the in the mix now. You know, some of them are repositioning themselves to do various other things. 
And with Rope It Up, you know, one, I think one of their main concepts is that they call themselves an interdependent record company, not independent. But their hmm. concept is that they are uh, acting as a hub to connect many different artists that are all kind of, you know, maybe in the same but don't know about each other yet. So they act as this hub to sort of connect all the artists and to connect the fan base of the artists to each other. And not only that, but they also, I mean, it's still true that record labels have old school contacts. And so even despite all the new stuff in the industry, there's still old school stuff that matters. You know, people, you know, relationships that go back 30 or 40 years or 50 years. So, you know, they're able to get certain things that I wouldn't be able to get on my own, like placement in the iTunes store or, you know, certain types of touring opportunities maybe or other things like that. And, you know, another thing is it's just, I really like the people there and it helps when you have someone that you can bounce ideas off of, that you can, you know, someone that can keep you on track or suggest new avenues to. And especially because I do so much myself, I think I'm, I'm in need of that. You know what I'm saying? Right, I completely understand. So let me ask you this, with you listing the benefits of the records, would you consider a major label project? I don't know. I guess it would depend on what they offer, you know? They're, right now, it seems like there's no set thing. I mean, every every deal is different, and people are getting different deals just depending on who they're working with or what they've been doing. It kind of, you know, in a way, a person like me doesn't really need a label deal because, you know, because of the internet, because it's, I can literally put a song on SoundCloud now and... Five minutes from now, I got a guy in Singapore listening to this and saying, hey, this is great, I'm going to buy it, or I'm going to spread it around to my friends, or whatever. So, you know, the label in the sense of paying for the recording and distributing it and all that kind of stuff doesn't really make any sense anymore. It's more just, um, like I was saying, like, the, the people and the relationships. Is that going to add to your to your um, your arsenal? So, you know... I don't know. I don't know what a major label would offer. I don't know what a cut, you know, how much of a cut they could offer. I don't know how much of a boost in promotion. Sometimes they have really big in-house publicity or um, public relations departments. But then it also depends, you know, are they going to take a bigger cut or are you going to get lost in the shuffle? So it kind of, uh, it's hard to speak in the abstract. you got to look at each deal individually. Right, that's kind of what I was getting at. Just weighing the pros and cons, which you actually did just now independent independent label versus DIY versus a major label you know I guess it's like you said it's all within the confines of the agreement that's made but you know it's such a large conversation right now because there are so many in-home musicians that are able to put a song on SoundCloud on Bandcamp etc and start their careers that way and possibly not even need any assistance from an independent or a major label so no thank you for yeah. that insight i mean it's it's tough you know for me i felt robot up was right for me but i can't say that that's right for everybody you know i think one thing is if i was going to give advice to somebody i would say go with a person that you just like you feel good vibes from that person because a lot of times that's what it boils down to besides you know the numbers and the contacts and whatever twitter followers and facebook blah 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 you know you're going to be working with this person probably on a daily basis. So I would say it goes to someone that you feel like you can trust and, and you feel understands what you're doing musically, you know, artistically. So those are those are some of the reasons I, I was, you know, I chose 
to go and rope it up. I wrote that Daydreamer, the album, is a pleasant playlist for any palate. You know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you were exposed to you know, numerous genres of music. In the notes that I received, it states that the album is comprised of Jewish folk songs, American music, West African influences, gospel, and French compositions. What was your intent when you set out to create Daydreamer? Yeah, well, thank you for, for the compliment. And I like the <laughs> pleasant palette. Uh, what did you say? Pleasant, pleasant playlist for any palette. All the yeah, yeah. I don't right. know. I, you know, my intent was not like, okay, let's make a fusion of gospel, jazz, and funk, and West African music. It was more. Um, I think my intent specifically was to make a record that felt like me, and I think that's kind of the hardest thing to do. It's easy to learn how to play scale or to write chords or write a song, but it's hard to write something that's authentically you. You know, it's easier to write something like, okay, I'm gonna write a song that sounds like something Herbie Hancock would have written, or I'm gonna make a beat that sounds like a, you know, like a large professor beat or whatever. That kind of stuff is like, you know, you're learning the tools of the trade. But once you do that, it's the next step is to really try to look inside yourself and just find out what feels the most neat. Um, and I think that's really crucial because everyone is doing, you know, everybody's out there making music. There's so much music being made. And, you know, I can't compete with you on being you. I can only compete by being me. Um, and I think that was, that was kind of hard to realize because I think earlier in my career it was very much like, okay, I'm going to copy these masters and hopefully something good will come out. And, you know, something good came out and it was enjoyable and people dug it and stuff. But again, I still felt like, okay, I'm, I'm making copies. I'm, I'm, I'm still studying, you know, how, how can I find my own voice, my own sound? So that's kind of like what I was going through when I was making this record. And so the other stuff just came out as a byproduct of that, you know, because I, I grew up listening to classical music or because I, was playing in klezmer bands when I was in high school, you know, Jewish music. Um, because my dad had spent time in Israel, came home with, you know, an appreciation of Israeli folk music. So all those things kind of combined. Or because I've been playing in, in church for like the last, I don't know, 10 years. And, and so that's kind of gone into my ears and into my, my, my voice as well. So I guess that's, you know, I wasn't I wasn't deciding to make a fusion of those things. It's more just like something subconsciously that happened. Right, you just brought you out into the music. Yeah, I think it's just trying to bring me out, exactly. One thing I noticed on the album <laughs> is that there are some instruments that would be considered un unconventional for a jazz album. That would be Steel Pan on Nomads. It's funny, I was actually playing it yesterday. And my sons told me that it sounded like the ice cream truck we heard still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. But also the violin on Sung G and Heading Home. You know, yeah. were those elements that you decided upon, you know, during conception or were they like spontaneous inspirations? You say, Hey, let me add this here. Um, I guess uh a little bit of both. I mean I would say, you know, similar to what I was talking about with the labels, I went with those instruments because specifically I wanted to work with those people. Like, I really like Zach. Um, he's a violinist on there. 
I really like the way he played, and I like his person, I like his spirit, and I wanted to bring him in. Um, and same thing with Foster, who's the guy playing the steel pan. And so it just so happened that I had these songs kind of banging around, and I thought that, you know, that song would sound good with Rack playing violin, and this song would sound good with Foster on steel pan. It wasn't so much that I needed a steel pan, and then I was trying to find someone to play it. It was more like I wanted to bring those specific people into the project. But, you know, in terms of whether they're unconventional for jazz, I mean... I don't know, man. I think, you know, I'm interested in different textures and timbres and whether that's creating with a synth, you know, or a drum machine or if it's creating with some old, you know, violin is a very old instrument, but it can get these beautiful textures and timbres out of it. So I just kind of go with what feels good. Right. And I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, bringing you into the music. You know, although yeah. they may not be instruments that you hear on on a regular basis when you think of or think of jazz, I think they really fit well in the songs with which they're in. Yeah, thank you. One thing I, I've been noticing is that there are so many quote-unquote jazz musicians that have like a hip-hop aesthetic. And I consider you to be, you know, within that vein, not so much, I guess, hip-hop aesthetic on this project, but definitely are, are willing to try things and unconventional. So maybe from the Miles Davis school, you know, he was always trying to merge things. He was into fusion. Um, yeah. You know, what 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 are your thoughts on some of the, the guys that are out there nowadays that have that, that hip hop jazz fusion like a Robert Glasper or a Jose James? Yeah, I mean well first of all I love both of their music. I think in the nineties people tried to do this fusion, you know, like hip hop jazz fusion and it felt sort of um you know, it felt like it was a classified that fused these two genres. But then, you know, twenty years later you know, people like me grew up hearing both, like, I grew up learning jazz at the same time that I learned hip-hop. It wasn't even like I had one in my in my ears first and then the other. It was just, they were both always around. And then same, it wasn't just those two, but like rock music, and, you know, like indie rock, punk rock, all this kind of stuff. It was just in my ears and I think, you know, it's like anything, like people are going to play what they hear and they're going to play what they're familiar with. So, I, I mean, I can't speak for those guys, for Robert and Jose, but I got to assume that it's just what comes out naturally. I think that's our generation. And I mean, we're we're not even the younger generation anymore. Now there's a whole other generation after us it's, that's even like less concerned with genre. You know what I mean? And less concerned with following kind of traditional rules of instrumentation or whatever. So part of what's exciting about me at the studio, you know, acting as a producer, is I get to produce and work with some of these younger guys, and so I get a lot of inspiration from them. Earlier, you mentioned that. You're basically trying to bring out Jesse Fisher into the music. And we spoke earlier about you know, the fact that you dabbled in songwriting. One of the songs that really made an impression on me is Refuge, which you co-wrote. And it's yeah. basically an ode to music. And you're speaking about you know, your relationship with the music. Yeah, that was actually the song that I co-wrote with Sarah, with Sarah Elizabeth Charles, who's the singer on there. And she had brought in this idea that music you know, music could be a refuge. So she kind of wrote the hook. She wrote the, basically the title, you know, was, was saying, what, what could this be? And I was, I kind of took it home and thought about it. And I had previously written some music that, that day that kind of fit with what we were doing. And it's just one of those things where it just comes together naturally. I don't know how it works. It's sort of like a subconscious thing. It's like dreaming or something. You just have these different things that all of a sudden they click and they work together. So, you know, in terms of the rest of the lyrics, I was, 
you know, I was like, I had a thought in my head and I didn't really know, I don't know that much about writing songs and stuff, but, you know, I tried to make it work. I tried to tell a story and, and to write some poetry about it. But, you know, it's basically, I gotta assume it's the same thing for you and for a lot of music lovers. I mean, especially when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of friends and like, I kind of, was, I kept to myself and like, music was the thing that really kept me going. That was a place that I could be myself and I could, you know, explore and have dreams and, you know, etc. So, and I find even now that I'm an adult, you know, it's less so, but I can still find refuge and I can find like some comfort in music. And I still am seeking that every day. I'm trying to find music that's going to make me feel good or going to make me feel something, you know what I mean? So that's what I was trying to portray. I completely understand, you know, as a DJ, it's great. And I'm sure yourself, you know, playing the keys, it's great to look out into the audience and see, you know, that that immediate effect that you're having on someone who's come to enjoy what you do. Yeah, man, I'm just trying to reach the people. And if that's, you know, with a kind of a mellow song like, like that, a singer-songwriter song, or if it's like with some dance stuff, it's just going to get people dancing and clapping or whatever. You know, I'm just trying to reach them somehow. I also read in my notes that, you know, you wanted to affect healing with this project. Again, it goes back to my childhood and, like, music was a thing that brought me joy and comfort and, and I really believe that, you know, it can do that. I mean, there's there's a lot that's going on. Like, there's just people killing people, you know, people bombing people, like, specifically, you know, like, when we were, when I was recording this album, there was a lot of stuff going on in Israel and Palestine, and, you know, now it's Syria is being torn apart, and, you know, and then in this country, people are getting shot, you know, cops, crazy people running up on campuses and stuff. So I don't, I don't know how much the song is going to do, but in a way, I feel like through just being in the music industry, just being a musician, period, I've been able to meet people from so many different backgrounds and like really understand more about how people are and the universal, just the universal aspect of human beings. I don't think I quite understood that before, so I'm starting to just understand that a little bit now, and I, I think my goal is to share that with people so that if they hear this music, they might think, oh, you know. Maybe maybe this guy's not so different from me. Maybe this woman's not so different from me. Well, I definitely feel the album has it has a great vibration. Number one, but number two, it has a commonality that I think will allow it to reach many different people, and you know, hopefully create that bridge that we need to get people to stop, like you said, realize that you know this person is so different from me. You know, why am I attempting to hurt this person? Yeah, I hope so, man, because people don't really hurt. I mean, people tend to hurt the people that they perceive as different, right? They're not, usually they're not out to hurt their own people. It seems like they're out to hurt someone that's different. And I just think people are not that different. Pretty much, we're all kind of the same. At least in my experience. Oh, indeed, indeed. As I mentioned, Daydream is in stores now. You know, can you tell people where they can pick up the album? Oh yeah, for sure. Actually, it's a good question. A lot of people ask me, you know, like, oh, I heard that Spotify is not candy artist, or I heard that blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, what, what's the best way to get, to, you know, to support the artists and all that kind of stuff? So, really the best way is to go on Bandcamp. Bandcamp is like a little-known site that, um, although it's growing in popularity, that really the best place to buy music. Um, you can either buy a download of either MP3 or a, a high-quality audio file, or you can buy a CD there, too. But that's the best for artists because they, they take the lowest percentage, they also give us the money um, immediately. 
Whereas with iTunes, it'll take four months to get the money to you, and they take a higher cut. And with Spotify, or you know, any of the streaming services, it's a great way to discover new music, but it doesn't really give the artist much money at all. So you know, for people that want to support and want to be a part of the next record, and allow us to keep touring, allow us to keep recording, I would say Bandcamp is the best way. Travel, you know, extensively throughout the South. I hate I miss you while you were down this way, because I know people can catch you in November. Yeah, well, the next show is New York. Um, we're playing November 13th at Fontana. It's down in Chinatown in New York City. And how can your new fans get in contact with you? Well, I, I'm on Facebook all the time. A lot of people are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. So basically, you know, whatever it is that you do, or even if you just do email, you can go on my website and sign up for the email list. I, you know, it's like you said, like, I really enjoy, I'm not just doing this for me, like, I enjoy providing music for people, like, I view this as entertainment, I mean, it's art, but it's also entertainment, so, to that end, you know, I like chatting with people, I like, you know, someone to tell me, hey, I like this song, or I didn't like this song, or the song reminds me of XYZ, or whatever it is, you know, I feel like, you know, that's, that's the reason why I put the music out, so, any, you know, any and all feedback, I appreciate it. I especially appreciate when people share with their friends and uh, with their social networks. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man, for sure. I had a good time. Great chat with you. I'm trying to decide what track to play. I'm trying to decide whether to play Daydreamer, Blue Planet, or Morning Dove. Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. I think Blue Planet's the best. Blue Planet right here on the Diamond Soul Experience. Thank you, Jesse Fisher. All right. Thank you so much, Roger.
temporary verbal agreements like, yeah, I'll run with you. What's the squad? Hit or miss? All rock. Game 16 by ones. Win by two. 21 straight. Fences out. This ball sucks. There are no zebras in the zoo. And no government cheese line. I call. My ball. Take it out. Do it to him again. Just penetrate down the lane I take it down Death Valley To the sauce pan the well To the Baja I don't just cross over I put you in a spin cycle and rinse I get light I disco Boogie And skate on my man I got the wiggles The bop bop The whip wop The legal yo-yo Don't reach Unless you want to get bugged I will crack you I don't just steal the ball I force you left Where you have no handle Pick your pockets And yell cookies Ooh, Give me that I don't just score, I guess buckets. I wanna cook and embarrass you and your whole squad. Hezzy, step back, ready for the trade wop. Ice water, bang, bang, ha, and one. Hold that game. Hey, yo, it's Tyler Quali, the MCEO. Blacksmith is the movement. Shout out to Strong Arm Steady. Shout out to Gene Ray. Hey, yo, it's Tyler Quali, the BKMC. This is my peoples right here. Rocking with DJ Rod Dude, the premier source for soul music. Getting it in, you know what I'm saying? Rare grooves, ill soul. What you like, you know what I'm saying? What you love, what you need. Tyler Quali, Blacksmith is the movement. Banging the beats, banging in your eardrum. Let's get it, yeah.
Oh no, oh no, no, no. Hi, this is Omar. You're listening to the Diamond Soul Experience with DJ Rod. Keep it locked. No same love. Stop. 
Radu on the Diamond Soul Experience.
Bemelosoul.com. This is the Diamond Soul Experience. I am DJ Radu. Tonight we have Mark DeClive Blow on the line. Just released the latest in his large discography. I've been a fan of his for like the past 15 years, man. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Yo, man. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. So, I know you've been playing the keys since you were four years old. You're continuously switching genres. You know, you pretty much play it all. Broken beat, house, jazz, soul. <laughs> I mean, it's all music, man, isn't it? You know? Like, I, it, it, it would seem such a shame just to, you know, eat a burger every night for the rest of your life, you know? Right. <laughs> when you when you can have so many different meals, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I love the, 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 the breadth of things, for sure. I love I love how broad it all is. Like it's just you know different flavors and different different feelings. Right. But it's all music, you know. It's just amazing how much ground you cover. You know, most people usually stick with you know one thing or the other, but we right. you know watch you you know comfortably move from one to the next. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. You're very prolific. You know, you travel a lot. When do you find time to write or compose? Man, I gotta, I gotta make the time. Like anything, I think, you know, especially, you know, with family as well, and doing everything shows. I've got to carve out blocks of time and kind of commit to them. It's like this is what I'm doing now. So, I think quite a long time ago, I kind of let go of the idea of I've got to be inspired to write. It's like no, I'm just going to write, and you know, trust in the inspiration to be there, basically. <laughs> I know you do the church events. Do those events help inspire you as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, every every time I play a show, you know, church with like with the band, or the solo live gigs, the remix live gigs, or with Ethio Cali or one of these other bands I might be playing with, it's also inspiring, man. Just you know, making music is especially with people is a really it's a really kind of spiritual thing. It's cool. Church is the name of your event. It's also the name of, you know, your album. You know, why did you choose that name? Well, the the um, name Church was based on the on the party we've been doing in New York and LA. So it was a monthly party, and 
the whole idea was to kind of like sound clash a jazz club and a dance party like a kind of broken beat house party and um with live music it was all about you know up, uplifting and celebrating through dance through music and and it kicked off on Sunday, on a Sunday monthly in LA. So actually, Mia Andrews was like, "Oh, we got to call this church." So, okay, cool. <laughs> so she christened that. <laughs> oh, okay, it's very cool. In 2013, you kicked off the uh, Kickstarter campaign for church. Yeah, yeah. But you had previously you had your own label. You were on other labels, ABB, Columbia. You know, why did you decide to go indie or, you know, independent? Um, it just got to a point where I wanted to, you know, control things a little more myself. And the church album was going to be for, for another, la another label, but that was taking so long that I just got to the point I was like, I've got I to do this myself. Because it was more important to me to get the, the music out kind of express the music and share the music and so I can so I can also grow and move on with something else um, so you know it just ended up being that way and it was a cool way to make a record and that everyone who supported the Kickstarter that was kind of them you know laying down their, their vote it's like you know yes you know we like what you do we want you to make a record like cool and that was really encouraging too after the success of the church project you just released the church remix album was a remix album always a part of the plan or did that or was it like a stroke of inspiration i don't it was possibly always part of the plan i mean it just it makes sense to me to, to revisit a work through through the lens of kind of other people's imagination um like i love that kind of thing i do i do a lot of remixing so it's a it's a natural progression to me in in music so it was cool to, yeah, hear all these tea producers from all over the world just kind of, you know, do their own interpretation of different tracks from the album and, um, yeah, bring a whole different angle to it. It's very cool. You mentioned that, you know, you do a lot of remixing. Now, how difficult is it to be remixed or to select the track and decide whether or not that's good or what you like? Well, I mean, pretty much everyone who was involved with this project is someone whose work I knew. There's a couple of people who actually I didn't know their work. One of them just asked me if he could do a remix and, it, and I liked the vibe of that. And another one was a young producer, um, Pastrana, I met. I was in workshops in Angola and he was there doing the workshops. And yeah, he was doing like a deep tech kind of thing and he just like wanted to do a remix too. So it's like, cool, let's go to that little Angola you know, tech house thing. So it was just fun to have different people bring their vibe to it, and, and they're all, you know, apart from two of them, everyone with people I've worked with or have a relationship with, and you know, I like their music and I like what they do. So, with a feeling being mutual, you you know, generally end up with a good result. Now you left New Zealand, and you're presently stateside, but the New Zealand scene is really popping off right now. Uh, have you considered returning to New Zealand, or are you collaborating with any artists from New Zealand at the moment? I mean, I like visiting there, but I'm not planning on returning. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, that's like, <laughs> it's a great place, though. <laughs> um, but I, I am going back, I think I'm going back early next year to do some shows with, with Maeli Manzanza, who's a dope drummer and producer out there. Um, his project is nice. 
and then some some collaborations with Kimbra. Um, and yeah, a few few New Zealand cats, and then it was cool on the remix album because Leonard Charles was from New Zealand, and he brought he worked in three three of the, of the three great New Zealand vocalists too. So it's nice to have that connection there with the you know with the homeland. You know, there are a lot of artists on Church Remix that you worked with before. You know, it's really a universal affair. You know, you have At Jazz, Opa Lopo, Manzanza on the project. You know, is there anyone else that you would like to work with that you haven't worked with yet? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been fortunate to work with most people I've, I've always wanted to, but yeah, there's always there's always more. And yeah, sometimes it's someone unexpected, like... You know, it might be some, might be, it might be some young cat no one's ever heard of, and just they have such a fresh approach to music that that's inspiring. And then other times it's someone more of a mentor, as, as a, like, you know, I played with Harvey Mason to, to work with someone like that who I grew up hearing playing drums on records. That's amazing to me. So you know, I'm constantly kind of blessed with that kind of inspiration and collaboration. But yeah, there are always unticked boxes which still need to be ticked. Definitely, I'm not sure who. Not, not sure who exactly, but you know, I mean, Herbie's at the top of the list. Herbie Hancock. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be happy. Herbie, Q-Tip, that'd be, that'd be nice. <laughs> I know that you worked with Dane Funk before, uh, and Q-Tip is on his new album, so you know there yeah, might, might be an might be in rose for you there. Church remix is in stores right now. Where can people pick that up? It's on a digital release worldwide, so it's on the Bandcamp, um, which is mashybeats.bandcamp.com. It's on iTunes, TrackSource, all those good things. Yeah, pretty much anywhere you look for music, I hope. And um, yeah, we're not we're not doing any physical yet. There may be a little vinyl release later on. We'll see what happens. One of my favorite tracks from Church is uh, "Broke Up." The At Jazz remix is also one of my favorites as well. Uh, what, would you, what would you consider to be your favorite from the Church Remix project? I mean, that's I love that one, um, the Brux Step remix. At Jazz did that's got a lot of flavor, and um, I like I like I like all of them. Otherwise, I wouldn't be letting them come come out, you know, <laughs> and see the right. light of day. But um, but yeah, the. The um, the Maeli Manzanza remix, I love that. He's kind of gone into like a Theo Paris direction with that. It's very cool. A super tribal. QB Smith's hot dub of Hollow. That's a really cool interpretation. It's just it's just cool to hear people you know reinterpret something you've made and and it's 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 cool for me. I, I love hearing that. We're gonna go into the At Jazz remix right here on the Diamond Soul Experience. Thank you so much, Martin Clive Lowe, for your time. Really appreciate it. Go pick up church remixes in stores right now and catch Martin Clive Lowe. He'll be in New York on the 10th. He'll be in Philadelphia on the 16th and be in LA, back in LA rather, on the 29th. Make sure you check him out. Thanks, man.
this is Gadina, and you're listening to DJ Rad Do on the Diamond Soul Experience. Can you dig it?
Diamond Soul Experience. WABL. BamaLoveSoul.com. Oh.